Hide my hand against your Roman popery! And they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom! We're on a mission from God. I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Maybe we should chug on over to Mamby Pamby Land where maybe we can find some self-confidence for you, you jackwagon! Coming to you live from his padded cell high atop Bethel Church, the most heralded, the most despised talk show in all of human history. This is the talk show Hell Hates. This is Pastor Mike Online. telling you i i get i get worked up over stuff like this i'm going through uh just piles of information uh people have sent me things to read uh and i and i listen i want to tell everybody thank you uh for for helping me with the research in this series that we're doing on the Vatican, Vatican secrets, and the um, the most recent one came out a couple days ago. I hope you've had a chance to uh, watch it because it's got some pretty interesting, maybe shocking information for you there. Um, and uh, the next episode, in fact, the next two episodes, um, are it's just one thing after another of absolutely stunning information. Have I used enough hyperbole yet? The most amazing, outstanding, far out stuff in the world. Um and I found, uh, let's see, I've had, had this sitting here for a while, Catholic source book. So any questions that I might have about um, Catholicism, what they believe, so on and so on, is, is all right here in this book. It, it just gives various subjects, and then um, it's got the answers for it. Uh, let's see here, like the papacy. Let's let's. I'm just kind of flying by the seat of my pants here today. Uh, the papacy. Let's see here if it's if it's got a, it's got a start here. A start and a stop. Um, no, that's the leadership. Okay. The papacy and their idea that the current bishop of Rome, which is Francis, that he has been 
the chair and the authority that goes behind it has been going on now since the days of Peter. That when Peter died, there was a successor to him who basically ran the church. And then after him, there was another one. After him, there was another one. And these men all run the church, write doctrine. And it's interesting to note that a lot of the things that Catholics now believe were not even thought of. Some of them were not even thought of for a thousand years or better. Uh, Let's see here. Apostolic succession. Here we go. It's defined as the continuity of shepherding. The continuity of shepherding responsibility given by Christ to the church leadership. Now, they give you some verses here. Um, John 20, 23 and Matthew 28, 19. Uh, It's realized in the line of authority passing from the apostle Peter. To each of his legitimate successors this empowers or legitimizes the sacramental ministry of a parish priest since he is ordained by a bishop who is consecrated by a successor of saint peter in other words if you remove in the catholic church if there is no pope there cannot be any new bishops established who then cannot ordain priests. The whole system collapses if they don't elect or never did, let's say, from this point forward, they never elected a new pope after whatever happens to Francis. If they don't do that, then their entire scheme, according to their doctrine, falls completely apart. Um, And by the way, while I'm thinking about it, several people, one of which I've met, spoken at a conference that he, he and I spoke at the same conference, several people jumped on the alleged prophecy that a man by the name of Saint Malachi uh, predicted. Saint Malachi was sub- allegedly, from his day forward, this was like, I don't know, two or three hundred years ago, it is said that he successfully predicted every pope that was ever going to be in office until the end of the church. And according to the prophecies of St. Malachi, Pope Francis is supposed to be the very last pope. Uh, Simply because he represents... The uh, the last prophecy given was about a pope 
that was referred to as Peter the Roman. Now, number one, Jorge Bergoglio is not from Rome. His parents were Italian, but he was raised in Argentina. Number two, his name is not, nor was it ever, Peter. His birth name was Jorge Bergoglio. That's George. Jorge is George. And the name that he chose as Pope was Pope Francis, not Pope Peter. So, and again, I have, I, I know at least one person, and I'm sure there were others, who decided to take this St. Malachi prophecy and believe it. They fell for it. So they jumped on this bandwagon. When Ratzinger resigned, all I mean, all everybody's going, oh, the next pope's going to be Peter the Roman. Boy, it won't, it won't surprise us if it's some guy from Rome and his name is Peter, or he picks the name Peter. Never happened. It never happened. And um, Pope Francis is, you know, they for some reason, they only pick old popes. I think that's because, um, number one, the um, the demands on the job really require a younger person to keep up with those demands, and so I think I think the cardinals all know if we elect an old person. And we figured out we don't like him. He's not going to be around long. With Pope John Paul I, he was only there 33 days. But anyway, um, I will make a prediction that at some point, Jorge Bergoglio, Pope Francis, is going to die, and they're going to elect a new pope. And this whole thing about St. Malachi's prophecy concerning the Vatican and concerning who's going to be the popes and so on. Those who made videos or those who made who wrote books, those who um, sold those videos, sold those books, they're going to have to answer. Not not to me. They're going to have to answer for why they jumped on this bandwagon when it wasn't the Word of God. There's nothing in the Word of God about Peter the Roman. It doesn't exist. And, folks, when, when, I, when I heard um, that this person was writing this book about uh, St. Malachi's prophecies and Peter the Roman and all that stuff, I was sent an advanced copy of that. And they asked me to read it and write 
maybe a couple of sentences about how amazing I thought the book was. And I never got past the first two chapters because the draft that I was sent um, it it basically referred to Roman Catholics as our brethren. So we're not trying to hurt, you know, good, good, godly Catholics. We don't mean to offend them in any way. And I just felt like it was, I believe that Roman Catholic, I believe there's a lot of Roman Catholics out there that are decent people. But the problem is they are counting on their works of righteousness to get them in heaven. And it doesn't work that way. They will never make it to heaven. It doesn't matter how many times they pray. It doesn't matter um, how much money they send to the church. None of that matters. The only thing that matters is do you believe that Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross is wholly sufficient for, for the remission of every sin of all mankind? That's what matters. When you put your faith and your confidence either in yourself or in um, an institution like the Catholic Church, or, or it could be any, any kind of church, when you put your faith and confidence in that church or that man behind the pulpit, that's where, you, that's where you've gone wrong, right there. You're already steering in a different direction. Uh, let's see here. Um, let's see, apostolic succession. Yeah. Um, a line of, a line of authority coming all the way from St. Peter. Uh, this empowers the sacramental ministry and so on. Um, let's see here. What else is in here? I was reading something in here a while ago and, uh, I'm like, Notice that they're not given any scriptures here. There's the liturgy. Where was it? Where was it? Liturgical year. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. This this is what I wanted to, to show you. This is this is about the veneration of saints. Meaning that whenever you see a statue of some saint, you must kneel or bow, genuflect, cross yourself, kiss your hand, whatever. Sometimes they will touch the uh, marble statue or bronze statue or whatever. They'll touch it. It's just a, it's just a stick of wood is all it is. That's there's nothing else to it. Um, in this chapter, it says, um, as the church celebrates the mystery of Christ, 
That's how how you know you have a mystery religion. Throughout the liturgical year, she honors especially Mary. Here we go. Mater Dei. The mother of God. Now, let me correct that. Mary is not the mother of God. That would assume that God had a beginning. She is not the mother of God. She is the mother of the physical body that God prepared for Christ, his son, to enter into this world. But nowhere in the scriptures do you find anybody referring to Mary as the mother of God. Elizabeth didn't say it. The angel Gabriel did not tell Mary this. None of the apostles ever referred to her as the mother of God. When Jesus was on the cross and he gave uh, John... Uh, possession of his mother, in other words, take care of my mom for me well, You know, while I'm going to heaven. He never instructed him to t- call her Mater Dei, Mother of God. That's because she wasn't. God did not have a beginning, and he doesn't have an end. The church also commemorates the lives of the apostles, martyrs, and other saints They have been glorified with Christ. They are heroic examples of Christian life and intercede for the faithful on earth. No, they don't. Now, um, they use two phrases here, adoration and veneration. So if you you were to ask a Roman Catholic... um, why do you why do you uh, worship Mary? Um, more than likely, you will get an answer that. Let's see here. I'm trying to pull up a Bible app. There we go. Uh, Blue Letter Bible, or no ed- etymology online. That's what I was going to do. When you ask them, do you, why do you worship Mary? Why do you worship the saints? They will say, we don't worship Mary. We venerate her. Oh. Well, uh, let's see here. I wonder if that phrase is in yes. Uh, let's see. Go to, uh, I think it's etymology online at Tim on. There we go. Etymology online. We'll type in the word venerate. Um, yeah, let me put that on the screen for you. This will be the interesting. Venerate, back formation from veneration or else from Latin, veneratus, past participle of venerari, to reverence or worship. 
the from the word Venus. You know, you know who Venus is? Do you know what Venus is? The planet Venus? That is supposed to be Lucifer, son of the morning. Okay? Um, to desire, to strive for. Uh, let's see here. Words related to it. Reverence is there. Oh, here's a good word. Venom is there. Um, but anyway, the word, whether you say, I venerate Mary, or you, or you say, I worship Mary, you're saying the exact same thing. You are praying to a piece of wood or a, or a piece of a big rock, and you think that Mary will hear you or some saint will hear you. From behind that rock or something like that. Um, veneration given to saints is called dulia. High veneration given to Mary is called hyperdulia. Um, let's see here. There's something called the Eucharistic Prayer of the Mass celebrates the communion of saints and asks their intercession. In other words, you just pick any saint, like Saint Teresa, the uh, Mother Teresa, ask her to pray for you, and she will, and God will listen to her. And I've, I've read more than one source on this that one of the apologetics that Catholics use when they are praying to Mary is that they will say that, well, Mary was Jesus' mother, wasn't she? Well, yeah. And they would say, is it, is it wrong to not listen to your mother? Well, yeah. Is it wrong to disobey your mother? Yeah. Is it wrong to, when your mother asks you to do something, is it wrong for you not to do it? Well, of course, the answer is yes. And they're setting you up. So they say, okay, then. Well, Mary is Jesus' mother. And it would be wrong for Jesus to ignore the prayers of his mother. And that's that's their whole their whole belief system right there. That's how they legitimize it. Uh, let's see here. Devotion to Mary. Um, Mary in the Bible. See, well, let's see. Where was it I saw that they didn't want you to read the Bible? They wanted you to read... Uh, the catechism or something like that, or one of the early popes. Um, I didn't we'll see it here now. Um, she's called the Blessed Mother, a natural motherhood, Mary, mother of Jesus, referred to often in the Gospels, a divine motherhood, Mary, mother of my Lord, 
That was um, Elizabeth said that, and that is true. The phrase Mary, mother of God, is not in the scriptures. So they reference the Council of Ephesus, page or number 431 or whatever. So the phrase mother of God doesn't come from the Bible. It comes out of a council that met where they determined that Mary should be given the rightful title of mother of God. Well, let's see here. What else can we? The Blessed Virgin. Uh, Mary, Virgin Mother. Well, we know that was Scripture. Scriptures are explicit. How can this be since I'm a virgin? And then the idea of Mary ever virgin, which means she maintained her virginity all her life. Um, so listen to how they do it. Listen to how they do it. Uh, according to an Old Testament expression, brothers means close relatives. The Catholic Church does not regard the phrase brothers of the Lord as referring to other children of Mary. But it says it. So they're saying, yeah, we know the scriptures say it. But the Catholic Church doesn't regard that phrase as meaning what it says. So they they admit now, they admit It's in the Bible, but it contradicts what our popes have said. So therefore, we don't regard what the Bible says. We regard what the popes tell us to do. Um, James and Joseph, the brothers of Jesus, are in fact sons of another Mary who was a disciple of Christ. (laughs) There is another Mary mentioned, yes. But uh, let's see if I can find this real quick. There was a place where the the, uh, brethren of Jesus, let's see if I can find it, was asking him about going up to the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, let's see here. I think it's in, yeah, Matthew 12, verse 46. While he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without desiring to speak to him. His mother and his brethren. So isn't that clear? That it was his mother and his brothers. Um, Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without desiring to speak with thee. Let's see here. There's another one. Uh, Yeah, Mark 3.31, the same story. And there came his, his brethren and his mother. Now, when you read that, is it not logical to assume 
that his brethren, in reference, and mentioned along right next to his mother, they would be basically referring to the family of Jesus. The, um, they were standing without, sent unto him, calling him. And it's the same, same uh, passage. Uh, John 2, verse 12. After this, he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brethren and his disciples. So right there, just so you don't make the mistake and say, well, they're his spiritual brethren. They were his disciples. The Bible delineates it was Jesus, his mother, his brethren, and his disciples. Because uh, later on we find that his own brothers didn't believe that he was the Christ. And they mocked him at the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, John chapter 7, here it is. Now the Jews' Feast of Tabernacles was at hand. This is verse 2, John 7, 2. His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence and go ye into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and uh, he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. Again, his brothers, and they not only didn't believe him, I think they didn't like him. Um, yeah, it's, that's what it says in verse 5. For neither did his brethren believe in him. Then Jesus said unto them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world, the world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. Go ye up into this feast. I go not up yet unto this feast, for my time is not yet full come. So in verse 10, But when his brethren were gone up, then went he also up to the feast, not openly, but as it were, in secret. He had brothers, meaning that the and, and Catholics basically they've got all their eggs in one basket when it refers to Mary. That if one of the eggs goes rotten, the rest of them will rot. There's like four things that the Catholic Church believes about Mary. Number one is that she is a perpetual virgin which we've just cleared that one up with Scripture. And now, whether let me read this statement again. The Catholic Church doesn't regard that. Um, yeah, the Catholic Church does not regard the phrase brothers of the Lord as referring to other children of Mary. So, Bible says it. Man says something different. Which one are you going to believe? So, number one, her perpetual virginity. Number two, Mary was conceived immaculately. It's called the Immaculate Conception. So, if you ever go by a church or a school and it says Immaculate Conception Catholic Church or Immaculate Conception, um, you know, school, it doesn't refer to Christ. It refers to Mary. They believe 
that Mary was born without original sin. That she had no sin when she was born. She never sinned her entire life. She didn't sin at at any time that Christ was on this earth. And she did not sin to the very day she died. Now, that's another one that they make. And they tie all these together. The third one is, is that Mary's body one day fell asleep, meaning that she laid down somewhere and everybody thought she was dead. But then immediately, the angel of the Lord came and she ascended bodily up into heaven. So, her perpetual virginity, her being born and living without sin in her life, and that she didn't really die. She fell asleep, and when she did, The angels of the Lord took her up into heaven. For what reason? So that she could be the other mediator between God and men. So the Catholics are saying, if you really want your prayer heard, it's best that you pray through Mary. And when she gives, when she goes to Jesus, she's got all these prayer requests and she'll say, son, you must forgive these people of their sins or you must answer these people's prayers. I'm your mother. And you just, if you don't, you just wait till your father gets here and you'll, you'll find out that I'm not kidding. It's messed up. Uh, then I found this. Um, I tore it out of a Catholic Bible. And it's teaching on the Mass. And I've done this before. I don't think it was with the, these papers here. Uh, they ref- they mentioned the altar of sacrifice here. Altar of sacrifice. And it says the altar stands as a symbol of Christ himself. In kissing the altar and in incensing it, which means that they take the censer full of incense and they wave smoke all around it. The priest is showing reverence for Christ. Really? Moreover, The altar is commemorative of the table at which Christ at the Last Supper offered the first Mass. Relics of martyrs who sacrificed their lives for God are enclosed within the altar. Remember what what I've been saying or what Jesus said in Matthew 23. Their churches are whited sepulchers, but inwardly they are full of dead men's bones. That's what these relics are. 
Um, then it lists the different items that are on the altar. The altar stone is an entire top slab of the altar or a small stone in the center is cut with five small crosses and contains the relics. The tabernacle, a receptacle for the vessels containing the blessed sacrament, stands completely veiled in the middle of the altar. The altar linens, three linen cloths covering the altar top, remind us of the cloths in which the body of Christ was wrapped for burial. Now, see, that's an interesting statement. Because here on one side, you have the Catholic Church promoting the Shroud of Turin, which I don't believe is the uh, was on the body of Christ. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Um, I, I don't know who made it. There is speculation that Da Vinci himself generated this thing. But we don't know. And I would ask the question, why does it even matter? We have Moses and the prophets. We have the words of Jesus. We have the words of the apostles plainly written for us. I don't need a cloth with the image of a man drawn on it or whatever. I don't need that cloth to increase my faith in God and Jesus and his word. I don't need it. You'll never find me taking a missionary trip to Turin, Italy, when they bring out the um, the Shroud of Turin. You'll, you'll never find me praying there. But here it specifically says the three linen cloths covering the altar top remind us of the cloths in which the body of Christ was wrapped for burial. So even here they're saying that it's multiple, just like the Bible said, because there was two different cloths, one that wrapped around his body and another one that wrapped around his head. And both of them were laying there folded in the sepulcher and Jesus wasn't in there anymore. Uh, The crucifix above every altar at which mass is celebrated stands a crucifix, a constant reminder that the mass is Christ's death renewed. Oh, my goodness. Come on. I can't. I just, I I can't handle the extent of that heresy. That here the Bible says that we are not to crucify the Son of God afresh. Hebrews 6. Let me put it on the screen for you. Why, sure. Um, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again under repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. 
So now, now do you understand why there has to be a crucifix there in front of that altar? Is that, number one, it represents what the Catholic Church does every time they have a Mass, which in practically all Catholic churches, a Mass is held every single day. And there are some people who will go to Mass every single day. And, and it's because they believe that you can live a day and all those sins you committed, you got to confess them. And now you have to eat the communion. You have to eat the body of Christ. And that's Christ being in you and it cleanses you from your sin. But sure enough, you go live through the day, you're going to sin some more. So you better come back tomorrow and get some more of this. There is absolutely no such thing in Catholicism as being assured of salvation. No such thing. So, and, and then the second, second thing. Uh, not only is there a, that, that crucifix there is representing Christ being brought to an open shame again. Because, I mean, let's just get honest. It does appear to me that when they nailed Jesus to the cross, they had stripped him of his raiment. And I know we don't like to picture it. I, we don't. We wouldn't look at a painting that had that on there. But Jesus was totally naked. Totally. The reason being is that sin brings shame. And what Christ was doing on the cross, he was taking the shame that belongs to us and he was nailing it to his cross forever. Amen. Then you have exactly word for word a violation of of the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. And I'll, I'll show you something else here that I found too. Um, in verse 6, it says, The apostles and the elders came to con together for to consider this matter. Now, the word elder means older. They're older men. These are men who have got a lot of gray hair. They've worked hard all their life. They have been through the, the uh, good days and bad days that life brings along. They have brought with them a lifetime of experience that has given them a, a certain amount of wisdom, life wisdom, common sense wisdom. The Catholic Church teaches that here where it says the apostles and the elders came together, that the elders are the cardinals and the bishops and the priests. And they do that because in their belief system, 
It's not just the Bible. In fact, we've already found that out. They don't hold to just the Bible. It's not just the Bible they get their doctrine from. It comes from the apostle, the chair of Rome, the bishop of Rome, the pope, and his cardinals, his archbishops, and his priests. The laity have no say in it whatsoever. Here, a precise reading of the King James says it was the apostles and the elder men of the churches, the, the, the older men. And these men were regarded and, and um, revered as being the heads of local congregations. One of the things that, uh, let me throw this in to illustrate it. One of the things that Rick Warren was savvy enough to do, he wanted his plans for building megachurches, he wanted to be able to reproduce that all over the world. So he writes in his book, The, the Purpose Driven Church, and it's about, you know, how to, how to build a megachurch like he's got. That if you encounter any resistance to the changes that you're making in your church, they're usually going to encounter them from the older people. So you can do one of two things. You can either hold a special service just for them, where it's the traditional singing from the hymns, it's traditional preaching, and and so on. Or... You could just run them off and say, obviously, this this church is not for you. And I've I I haven't witnessed it happen, but I've had pastors. I've had laymen call me and tell me that's what happened in their church. One lady called her and her husband. They had been in this church for years. The pastor, a man of which I I knew at one time, I wasn't close friends with him. But I I made his acquaintance one time. He was going to turn the church to Rick Warrenism. Well, this lady in this church started doing research on it. She's like, this ain't good. So on her way out Sunday morning, pastor's shaking hands, and she shook the pastor's hands. He saw smiles, and she says, Pastor, I've got some things I want you to read about Rick Warren. She said his face changed right in front of her. And he wouldn't even shake her hand. He took the he took the papers, wouldn't even shake her hand. And not too long after that, this pastor and another man from their church, I think it was a deacon, drove out to this family's house and sat down with them, husband and wife, and said, we've come to the conclusion that obviously this church isn't for you anymore. And put them out. So you can see clearly in Acts chapter 15 that no pope made this decision on what to do with the Gentiles. It wasn't Peter. It wasn't even Paul. It was James. Um, 
Let's see here. Yeah, after the, after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. It was James who came up with the idea. And the idea that he came up with is we should, te- we should send letters to the churches proclaiming to the Gentiles that they do not have to keep the law in order to be saved. But he said, we will throw some things in here that they should not be doing. Number one, they should abstain from fornication. Number two, they should abstain from blood. And in the mass, what did the priest turn that cup into? A cup of blood. If if I knew that was the case, and I'm walking in the line, and the, the priest is going to give me a drink of that cup, I'm not supposed to drink it because according to him, he changed it into blood. Then the Eucharist, they say they took the Eucharist and offered it before the Lord. But what did they really do? They offered it to an idol that they said was Jesus. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 24? If any man come to you say, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. So here they are, number one, drinking blood. Number two, they're eating meat sacrificed to idols. And God said, you're not supposed to do that. The Jerusalem Council came up with that. And you know what I think? I think it was a 100% vote. I think that's how the Holy Ghost moved on every one of those men was to give them a very, very clear direction to go into. You're right. We should abstain from fornication. We should not eat meat sacrificed to idols. We should not drink blood or anything that's strangled. And what is crucifixion? It's nine hours of you strangling yourself to death because the weight of your arms is crushing your lungs. Oh, my goodness. At Mass, candles are lighted to express our joy that Christ, the true light of the world, has redeemed us by his sacrifice. I didn't see that in the Bible anywhere either. Can we just turn the lights on? Uh, the altar steps. The altar is elevated by several steps for symbolical and practical reasons. They're saying it is a mystical Mount Calvary. Mystical. Hear that word? Mystical is mystery. This is a mystery religion that they're practicing here. And practical reasons. Better visibility. My eye. Good grief. Um, let's do, let's change subjects. Uh, I've been wanting to do this for a while. Let's go to second Peter chapter two. And let's get us an idea of who the false prophets and the false teachers are. Um, and, and 
by the way, I was reading today, I think um, in this book I showed you, the Catholic source book, um, about what's called Eucharistic adoration. There are monks and nuns and priests and laymen who will go into a chapel somewhere and up on the stage in the monstrance. Remember the word monstrance. It doesn't mean monster. It's where we get the word demonstrate. The monstrate or the monstrance is holds a a Eucharist wafer, wafer that that priest believes. Now, they believe this in their heart, that that priest has changed that into the very flesh of Jesus Christ. So in Eucharistic adoration, you have people there who will come and face in the direction of that wafer, and they will pray to that wafer because they've been told that's Jesus. See that circle there in the middle up there? That's Jesus. It is? Yeah, it is. You better pray to him. Better pray to him. That's Jesus. as, As the jokester that I am, I don't think my wife would ever let me get away with this. The jokester that I am, if I ever went to another Catholic funeral, I would take an Oreo cookie with me. And when I got in the line to eat the wafer, I would stick my tongue out and there would be this Oreo cookie sitting there. Who knows what they'd do to me then. Uh, let's see here. Anyway, let's understand false teachers and false prophets. I probably won't get through most of this today, but let's take a look at it. Second Peter two and, uh, Jude are very, very similar. Some of your highbrowed theologians would say that, uh, it's obvious that Jude copied from Peter or Peter copied from Jude or that Peter and Jude copied from another third-party source. Don't believe it. They're just giving you two witnesses as to how to identify false teachers. So Peter said there were false prophets also among them. Now, what does he say this in the context of? He says it in the context of Things like this. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And then things like this. We heard a voice saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Or this one here. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed as into a light that shineth in a dark place. Until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. 
For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So let's just say that let's just say if you're if you're a Roman Catholic and you're listening to me right now. If you want to, you can forget everything that I have already said. But I'd like for you to understand this part of Scripture right here. That we have something far better than some man standing above everybody like like this guy who says, I have words that God has given me, and what I'm about to say will be canon law. It'll be exactly what you must believe, or you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And here, Peter's Peter himself, Peter himself, told us that he was, a, he was an eyewitness of Jesus and he was he was an eyewitness or an ear witness of God saying this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased and Peter says here this voice which came from heaven we heard but he said we have if he said if you don't believe that well I've got something better for you to believe and Peter referred to it as a more sure word of prophecy And what was he talking about? He was talking about what he said here. Prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. He's referring, of course, to the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses. He's referring to um, the uh, book of Judges, Joshua. He's referring to the uh, Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles. He's referring to uh, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. And he's referring to Isaiah all the way down to Micah, and he's referring from Matthew to Revelation. All of that, all of that is the more sure word of prophecy. Because, you know, I can I can get on this program next week and say, people, i got to tell you something. It's, it's just driving me nuts. I had a, God gave me a vision of how this country is going to end. And, oh, it's I, it's bad. I can't live with myself. I, in fact, it, in fact, it's going to happen next week. You know what? You know what I know about that? That there would be probably quite a few people that would think that that's real, and they would start packing their bunker full of food if they have a bunker. Or whatever. There's people out there that are like that. I could say that. Get everybody worked up. But there's something. you Number one. You don't even know whether or not I actually heard from the Lord or not. I could have just made it up. But if it's written down in the scriptures so that everybody can read it. Then all we have to do is decide, did God really say this? And it looks like he did, because God never lies. And if he said something, 
I'll give an example. He said it a thousand years. Now, a thousand years before Christ died on the cross, David accurately predicted, number one, the words that he would say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? David would also accurately predict that they took his garments off him and parted his garments and cast lots for, lots for his vesture. It's exactly what the Roman soldiers did. That not a bone of his would be broken. And when the soldiers went around to break the legs of the other two malefactors that were next to Jesus, they found that Jesus had already died, so they didn't break his, they didn't break his legs. Not a bone of him was broken. Um. Uh, the fact that when they put Jesus on the cross, they would nail his hands and feet. David, David prophesied of that a thousand years before it happened to Jesus. I'd say that that is probably right. I'd say that that gives the Bible all of the evidence in the world that I need to believe what's in that book. So in this context of 2 Peter chapter 1, he's talking about he's what I heard. I heard God say this, and others heard God say it, but you've got something better than what I said. You have a more sure word of prophecy. And so now he says, but, and that but goes back to the previous chapter, but there were false prophets also among the people even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily, you know what that word means, don't you? Secretly, privately, without anyone noticing. Picture it like this. We know the sun and the moon. We know that it moves across the sky. Our problem is that if just in watching the moon, just with your eyes, no telescope, no nothing, just looking at it with your eyes, did you know that you cannot detect the motion of the moon? If you stood out there an hour and did nothing but stare at the moon, you could never detect its motion. Now, we know the moon's traveling thousands of miles a second, but we would never be able to, to detect its motion. Now, if we took our eyes, if we, if we sort of marked the position of where the moon was and we went and did something inside for a couple hours, you go back outside and you look at where the moon is. Now, you can tell clearly that the moon has moved. It's just that it did it didn't seem to be moving while you were looking at it. So when it says they will pre- privily bring in damnable heresies, in other words, they'll change the Bibles, they'll change doctrines, they'll change what churches stand for, but they'll do it so slowly. And so privily that you would never see it. If you were watching it, you would never see it. The only way you would be able to tell is if you were able to mark somehow. If you had, 
a Bible like this that has not changed in 412 years. This Bible has not changed in 412 years. And maybe at first, maybe with the uh, Revised Standard Version, people didn't see that the Bible had changed all that much. But now, with like the NIV and the Holman Standard Bible and other Bibles where they keep having to change the translation because the Greek is being altered as well. You can't, if you're watching it happen, you can't detect that it's happening. All you can do is get away from it for about 10 years and then go back and look at these Bibles and say, whoa, good grief. That's way off from the King James. See my point on that? They will privily bring in damnable heresies. Number one, the heresies themselves are damnable. Got There's a curse on them. Number two, the people who bring the damnable heresies themselves are damned. And the people who believe the damnable heresies are damned. God will not, he will not give you an allowance for not believing what he said in his word. If you're going to call yourself a Christian, believe what that book says. Believe every word of it, because every word of God is pure. Every one of them. Uh, Even denying the Lord that bought them would bring upon themselves swift destruction. Uh, For some reason, uh, YouTube put a video up for me to watch. Um. It started out with Netflix. They did a documentary series on a man by the name of Warren Jeffs. Warren Jeffs was part of a a splinter group from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormons. This splinter group called themselves the Fundamental Latter-day Saints. In other words, they went back to before the days when the Mormon church outlawed polygamy or, you know, having multiple wives. And they practice that now. And the problem is, really, the states that they practice it in, like Utah, they're really not interested in and in finding out who's doing multiple marriages and going in and arresting everybody. They're really not. They're not enforcing the rule. That's it's against the law in Utah. It's against the law in every state. You cannot have more than one wife or more than one husband. Uh, but they should have been watching because you get guys like Warren Jeffs who at the time he was arrested, and I, I'm not going to, I can't give you the exact number because I don't remember it. But it was over 
80 different wives that he had. And hundreds of children. Hundreds of them. Including. And the people who came out of these groups, they saw it happening. They said that as as Warren Jeffs got more and more power and control over the people. All of a sudden now. The woman that he's choosing to be his next wife keeps getting younger and younger all the time. Because of their doctrine that says that each one of those married men will, upon their death, be able to take all of their multiple wives with them and their children from those wives They will be able to take all of them with them to a new celestial kingdom where they will be able to create their own planet and they will be able to populate that planet with their seed. Just like Jehovah has planted his seed in this planet. That's what they say. Their theme is, as man is, God once was, and as God God is, man will be. Now, Warren Jeffs got arrested. And the first arrest, they had a trial and they found him guilty of, uh, I think it was, I don't know if it was statutory rape or whatever, but they gave him 10 years. And while he's in prison, they knew that there was more than, more than that going on. So he had another compound down in Texas, and they got a court order, and they went down to that compound. He had built a temple down there. And behind this curtain was a sacred bed. And he audio recorded his sessions with his brides who were barely 13 years old. It's disgusting. So now he's in prison for life. But here's the whole thing. When Warren Jeffs went to prison, he declared to all of the people who are under him, who followed him as their prophet, He declared to them that since I am in prison suffering for you and can't have access to any of my wives, therefore none of you can have any relations with your wives whatsoever and there will be no new marriages. Because you can't, in their religion, you can't get married unless the prophet chooses the bride for you and marries you. And those dumb, ignorant people who willingly put themselves under that man's authority 
They're suffering now. Uh, well, you know what? I, I'll be honest with you. I really don't think that a lot of them are following Warren Jeff's instructions to the letter. I don't really think so. But they make it look like we don't, we, even us married men, we don't touch our wives because Warren Jeff said not to touch them. And I don't believe that. But you see, that's the problem. They bring in damnable heresies. They get you to move away from a sure word of prophecy over to their lies. And people will gladly do this. They'll gladly do it. David Koresh did the same thing. You joined the Branch Dividing Compound. If you were a married couple, as soon as you showed up, you were told right then and there, the men stay over here, the women stay over there, and I don't care if you've been married 20 years. As of this point, you can no longer have any relation with your wife. And you know what he said? God has placed that horrible burden on me. So as soon as these couples showed up, Koresh segregated the men from the women, and Koresh was sleeping with these women every night. And taking wives, some of which were 13 and 14 years old. Isn't it amazing? That all of these wacky cult guys use the cult to find some moral reason to be a child molester. Don't worry. As the Branch Davidian compound fire showed us they bring to themselves swift destruction now i'm against two things on that number one i am totally 100 percent against david koresh his cult his cult teachings the 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 things that he said and practiced and he got what he had coming to him but i am also and always was against the way the United States government under President Bill Clinton handled that situation. It was the FBI that did all of that and ended up, to this day, we don't know who started that fire. To this day, we don't know who started it. But it killed women, men, and children inside of there. Yeah, it's messed up. Uh, Verse 2, and many, many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. You know what that means? That they will speak evil of the King James Bible. It is the way of truth. It's the only way of truth. And God has given us this book so that we would know 
what we're supposed to believe and what we're not supposed to believe. We would know that man has something that limits him from just taking complete control. So, do you know how do you know what is similar between the fundamental Latter-day Saints movement, the uh, the regular Mormon church, the Branch Davidian compound and and the papacy, do you know what's common among them? What's common among them is is that they have all had to reject portions or all of the Bible in order to follow what the man said. And in that case, they're all the same. Now, I got accused. One of my church members came up to me and said, Brother Mike, I got to talk to you. And and, uh, they said that their, their adult grown child has told them, Mom, you're in a cult. I'm telling you, you're involved in a cult. And when when she told me that, I, something in me, I wanted to call her family and ask them, um, you said that, that this church here is a cult and I'm the cult leader. Can you explain how that is? Because I don't think in all the years that I've been doing this that I've ever told anybody, you got to listen to me. You have to do what I say. Because I don't. The only thing I'll do is tell you, go to your Bible, your King James, and read it and believe every word it says. Because I'm not the leader here. The Bible is. The word of God is the leader. Jesus himself is guiding us. But in the cult and in the false teachers and the false prophets movement, the last thing in the world that they want you doing is reading the Bible on your own. You know why? Because they know that when you read the Bible, you'll be able to figure that cult leader out. You'll be able to understand. If if people, if the people who went to Ellen White's church every Saturday, if they would have started reading their Bibles instead of listening to Ellen White give them doctrine, if they would have started reading their Bibles, they would have said, uh, Miss White, I'm not sure where you're getting all this. Sounds like to me an angel from heaven brought you another gospel. I see the real gospel here that it's given to us without the works of the flesh, which would include what day to come to church and what day we're not supposed to come to church. They will always speak evil of the real way of truth. They do not want you reading that Bible, which is why, uh, and I put this in... uh, this week's watch of my broadcast, that clip out of a Catholic Bible and their little encyclopedia of articles 
where it referred to forbidden books. And the very first one that they mentioned was the King James Bible. Do not, if you're a Catholic, do not read the King James Bible. Now, if I'm a Catholic and they're pounding into me, don't you ever read the King James Bible. What am I going to do? I'm going to go read a King James Bible. I'm going to go find out what it, why it is they don't want me reading it. What are you, what are you trying to hide? Methinks thou dost protest too much. Now, verse 3 is the reason why they do what they do. It's covetousness. It's always covetousness. It's either coveting your money, coveting your total dedication, your service to the cult leader, or coveting your daughters or your little boys. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words. Let's see what feign means. Feign. To invent or imagine. To form an idea or conception of something not real. There are no such things done as thou sayest, but thou feignest them out of thine heart. That's Nehemiah 6. Right out of the Bible. I I like Webster. To make a show of, to pretend, to assume a false appearance, to counterfeit. uh, So, they they use feigned words. Now, let me show you what that is. This is real words of God. This that I have here about the Catholic Church is fake words, feigned words. See the difference? They don't want you believing. They'll speak evil of this so they can give you this. The words that they invented. Like that nonsense, and if I've read it one place, I've read it in a dozen places about why we pray to Mary. It's because, well, Mary was the mother of Jesus, wasn't she? And and when your mother told you something to do, did you do it? Or you? And if you didn't do it, weren't you punished? And of course, you have to do what your mother says. And so when we pray to Mary, we tell Mary all of our problems, and then Mary goes over to Jesus and say, Jesus, why haven't you blessed these people? They came to me telling tell me you're not blessing them, and I think you ought to bless them. Now bless them. That's kind of the idea that they give everybody is that Mother Mary bosses Jesus around and tells him what to do. And Jesus got to do it because that's his mother. Except, I found it very interesting that when Jesus was hanging on the cross and he looks at Mary and John There at the foot of the cross. 
He looks at Mary and he says, Woman, behold thy son. Not mother. Woman, behold thy son. And then he says to John, John, behold thy mother. And that was Jesus making um, preparations for his mother to be taken care of. But he did not call her mother from the cross. He called her woman. Now, if I would have done that when I was 13 years old, if I would have looked at my mom and said, hey, woman, get off my back. She would have been on my back, all right. With them six-inch leather belts that we wore back in the 70s. Remember those guys? Those were a lot of fun, weren't they? And it wasn't enough that the belts were that wide. They had to put these little brass rings in them. Oh, Oh, it's good to be with you today. Glad I got everything working. This is the talk show Hell Hates. For just a glimpse of why Hell Hates. I love you. You're the reason why I do what I do. And uh, keep us in your prayers. We are doing a feeding. We are doing a feeding right now. Uh, I read them last night. Let me, let me, I'll tell you where right now. In fact, I've got pictures here. Uh, but in Nayu Village, Lore Amated Village, Nayan Nayane Aki Leo Village, and Nakutana Village. Four villages we're reaching with food. Lord bless you. Pray for them. Pray for our all of our helpers out there who are helping. Pray that in the future we will always be able to find food for them. And pray that as God continues that, God will provide. I'm convinced. I love you. We'll see you Sunday morning.